All right, good morning. Good to see all of you guys. Thanks for coming out. Um, and uh, welcome also to anyone who's watching on live stream. Thanks for joining us. Um, we're still trying to work out the kinks for exactly how this is going to work all summer. So uh, it seems like whatever location we choose, there's some advantages and some disadvantages. Obviously, the big disadvantage here is that there's not enough shade. So um, the, ad the advantage is that we can't hear the road as, as loudly. And uh, the Wi-Fi is actually a lot better back here, so the live stream quality is a lot better. But if you guys have feedback for us, please send it to me this week um, about the time, about the location. Uh, we want to, moving forward, we want to come up with the best solution and uh, make this experience as enjoyable as possible. So, so uh, we have been looking at passages in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount for seven weeks now. And we have come to the end of the series. This is going to be our last Sunday in the Sermon on the Mount, which means that we have come to what might be considered Jesus' scariest teaching. Uh, this is an uncomfortable passage. It is a, uh, a passage that should make us sit up and take notice. Uh, but it has a warning that I think all of us need to hear. So, if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, I encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 15. Matthew 7, starting in verse 15. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful morning, and we thank you for the chance to gather right now. Lord, we pray uh, that you would meet us. Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit to speak to us as we listen from your word, as we reflect on it. Lord, I pray uh, that we would be open to receive whatever it is that you want to teach us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I don't think that there is anything that should terrify us more than the thought of Jesus saying, away from me, I never knew you. And so we have to ask, who does Jesus say this to, and why? Well, the people that Jesus is talking about here are false prophets. That's what this whole passage is about, right? Uh, he, he begins by saying, watch out for false prophets. Now, just to clarify something, 
we hear the word prophet today and we tend to think of something like a fortune teller, right? Somebody who's going to tell you what's happening in the future. But it, when we see that word in the Bible, we need to think of something a bit more general than that. A prophet is somebody who speaks on God's behalf. So, a good teacher is a prophet. Um, now, that could involve saying something about the future, but it might not. Basically, it just means speaking on God's behalf, speaking truth that God has revealed and saying it in the right way at the right time. That's what it means to be a prophet. And Jesus is saying, some people are false prophets. There are people who come to you under the guise of religious authority, uh, and they seem great, but they're not great. They're actually like wolves in sheep's clothing. And one day Jesus will say to these false prophets, away from me, I never knew you. And Jesus says that the way that we should recognize whether a prophet is false or not is by the fruit that they produce. And that's a metaphor for uh, what their lives produce. If they're good prophet, prophets, Jesus says, they'll produce good fruit. If they're bad prophets, they'll produce bad fruit. But what is the fruit that Jesus really has in mind here? What is the produce of their lives that we should be looking for. Well, if we look ahead to the scariest part of the passage, we see at least four examples of what the fruit is not. Apparently, prophesying in Jesus' name is not a sufficient fruit to reveal a good prophet. So in other words, good teaching. Teaching and referring to Jesus, teaching out the Bible, not sufficient fruit. Uh, apparently, driving out demons in Jesus' name is not a sufficient fruit to reveal a good prophet. Even performing miracles in Jesus' name is not a sufficient fruit to reveal a good prophet. And one that's easy to miss is that Jesus implies that emotional fervor is not sufficient fruit to reveal a good prophet. Because notice he says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, to me will enter the kingdom of heaven. In ancient Greek, there were no exclamation marks. So if you wanted to express emotional fervor, you doubled the words, right? So Jesus is saying, not every prophet who shouts his name with tears, Jesus, Jesus, is actually a good prophet. That's not sufficient fruit to reveal that a prophet is good. And so what I want us to realize is that what Jesus is saying here is very different from what we naturally assume. Right? Uh, we tend to assume if a Christian leader speaks with passion about Jesus, that's a good prophet. Uh, or if there's evidence in their ministry of signs and wonders, that's a good prophet. You know, or if they can draw huge crowds, well, th that must be a good prophet. And the people who do those things may very well be good prophets. They might be great prophets. But what Jesus is saying is if you really want to know if somebody is a good prophet, those things are not sufficient. You have to be looking for a different kind of fruit. So what is that fruit? Well, this is an important question for us to ask because I've noticed that any Christian leader who becomes publicly known eventually is accused of being a false prophet or a wolf in sheep's clothing, usually by some independent fundamentalist Baptist living in the Midwest. Um, 
<laughs> but they always end up being accused of being a false prophet. I mean, and nobody is immune. Billy Graham, Rick Warren, I guarantee you, Google it. Put the name of any Christian leader and put false prophet after it, and you will find somebody who's made a lengthy YouTube video explaining why you shouldn't trust that person. So what really makes someone a false prophet? We gotta, we gotta figure that out. Now usually the people who are fixated on calling out false prophets are very focused on the content of their teaching. So they try to find examples of every time that Christian leader might have said something that was questionable biblically. And then they explain all of those examples and then they say, see, this person is a false prophet. Now, undoubtedly, a prophet's teaching is hugely important. Okay? If a prophet's teaching is out of harmony with Christ's teaching, they're a false prophet. Okay, that should go without saying. But this obsession with perfect doctrine in determining whether a prophet is false or not is problematic. It's problematic for two reasons. First reason, no Christian leader is always perfect in their biblical interpretation. None. Myself included. I don't know a single pastor who doesn't regret something that they said in a sermon once or doesn't feel like they got it wrong when they listen back to themselves years later. Oh, I could have interpreted that more accurately. That, that always happens, okay? And if you know a pastor who thinks they've never gotten it wrong, I say look out, right? Because they're probably arrogant and they've probably forgotten that there's a distinction between themselves and God. So, if we're looking for perfect perfect biblical interpretation and doctrine in order to determine whether a prophet is false or not, we really need to write off everybody. Okay, So that's one reason that this focus on doctrine is problematic. The second reason that it's problematic is because the, t the content of someone's teaching can be really, really, really good and they can still be a false prophet. Right? They can still be a wolf in sheep's clothing because Jesus says people will come in my name and they will prophesy in my name which means they will teach and they will teach in the spirit of my name basically they will say things that are true but they'll still be wolves in sheep's clothing see many people assume that what makes a wolf a wolf what makes a prophet a wolf is that he really wants to teach people false things that's what makes a prophet a wolf but think about it this way. When a wolf looks at a sheep, does he think, ooh, I can't wait to teach that sheep some false information? No, what he thinks is, I can't wait to eat that thing. Right? What makes a prophet a wolf is not occasional mistakes in biblical interpretation. What makes a prophet a wolf is that he wants to use people for his personal satisfaction. And someone can teach really great doctrine and still do that. If we look throughout history, we can find many sad examples of supposedly Christian leaders using people. I mean, it breaks my heart to say this, but this is true, right? Uh, some people have used people for money. 
the example that comes to my mind is back in the 1500s uh, when the Roman Catholic Church leaders were uh, selling indulgences. If you're not familiar with that, they, they would say to poor peasants, if you give more money to the church, then that will help your dead relatives get out of purgatory. That's preying on the sheep. That's trying to eat the sheep, right? That's using them for money. Some supposedly Christian leaders have used people to feed their egos. What they're really about is attention and fame. That's, that's ultimately what they want. And when they don't get the attention that they want, they can get very nasty and very controlling. And I'm not going to name names, but there are recent examples of this in American Christianity of leaders who have been exposed as being very nasty, very controlling, and ultimately it comes back to the fact that so much of their ministry was oriented around ego, around wanting to use people in order to feel good about themselves. And some supposedly Christian leaders have used people to satisfy sexual desires. In this era of Me Too, a lot of terrible uh, stories have come out about priests and pastors using their positions of authority in that way. And all the while, while using people for the sake of ego, for money, for sex, many of these leaders, they have, cre they have preached great sermons, they have raised lots of money, some of them may have even been involved in miraculous things. Many of them have attracted large crowds and gained many followers on social media. But they've been wolves in sheep's clothing. Whenever these stories come out, these stories of Christian leaders behaving like wolves, it's incredibly discouraging for many of us. I know it's discouraging for me. And, and some people are so discouraged by these stories that they end up doubting the legitimacy of their faith. I've known people who have walked away from their faith because of their experiences of hypocrisy with Christian leaders because they felt like Christian leaders treated them like wolves. And although I can sympathize with the way they feel, I think it's important for us to recognize something. That's not a good reason to walk away from Jesus because right here, Jesus tells us this is going to happen. There are going to be false prophets. There are going to be leaders who act like wolves and don't serve the sheep but try to eat the sheep. Jesus says, look out. So how do we recognize the wolves? What is the fruit that reveals the false prophets from the good prophets. Now, in the American church, I think we ha have a tendency to think of the fruit of a ministry in terms of its effectiveness, in terms of quantifiable measures, you know, like how many people showed up at the meeting, how much money was donated, uh, how many people were baptized. And those are all important things, those quantifiable numbers. But remember, again, those things are not sufficient fruits to reveal whether a prophet is false or not. The actual fruit that Jesus is talking about is not something that's easily measured. But it can be observed, which is why he tells us to look for it. The actual fruit 
is character. It's what we call the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians, Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit as qualities like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's the kind of fruit that Jesus is talking about. That's the kind of fruit that he's saying, look for that. You know, when I realize that this is the kind of fruit that Jesus has in mind, these character qualities, it occurs to me that a lot of the people who are quick to judge Christians as wolves might actually be wolves themselves. Because rather than demonstrating love, they're quick to judge other leaders, right? Rather than demonstrating joy and peace, they're filled with paranoia. They see a wolf everywhere. Rather than demonstrating kindness and gentleness, they slander fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. There really isn't a lot of fruit of the Spirit in sermons that are focused on nitpicking every mistake a teacher has ever made. There's a wolf-like spirit in that. Jesus says, when you're deciding who to follow, who to trust, who to listen to, look first and foremost for people of character. Look for people of love. Look for people of patience. Look for people of gentleness. If they draw a big crowd, that's awesome. But if you have the choice between a huge crowd and an arrogant leader or a small crowd and the fruit of the Spirit in a leader, go with the small crowd every time. Now, so far, everything that I've said in this passage has had to do with leaders in the church, right? And that is the context of Jesus' words. But those of us who are not leaders should also hear a warning in this. Because what Jesus is saying is it is possible to think that you're a Christian or claim that you're a Christian and not be. It's possible to go to church and not really know Jesus. It's possible to be involved in ministry and not really know Jesus. It's even possible to sing worship songs with tears in our eyes and cry out, Jesus, Jesus, but not really know Jesus. Listen again to what Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who, who what? Who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now, what is the will of the Father in heaven? Well, that's what Jesus has talked about all throughout the Sermon in the Mount. That's what we've been talking about for the last few months. That's the will of the Father in heaven. The will of the Father in heaven is that we would be the kind of people who believe the Beatitudes. The kind of people who believe that God really does care about the poor. That God really does care about those who are in the midst of terrible situations. Those who are mourning. The will of the Father is that we would be the kind of people who are meek and nonviolent, the kind of people who are merciful, the kind of people who bring peace. The will of the Father is that we would choose to turn from anger and refuse to hate one another. The will of the Father is that we would honor our marriage commitments, both in our actions and in our thoughts. The will of the Father is that we would tell the truth 
straightforwardly. The will of the Father is that we would turn from our desire for retribution and for revenge and that we would love our enemies. The will of the Father is that we would resist evil in the world, not with violence and hatred, but creatively. The will of the Father is that we would cultivate a relationship with Him even when no one else is around to see that and be impressed by it, that. That we would practice not just seen righteousness, but unseen righteousness too. And as we talked about last week, the will of the Father is that we would be slow to judge other people. That we would be people whose lives are characterized by mercy and forgiveness. That we would be people who turn from self-righteousness and practice self-awareness instead. That we would be people who are quick to recognize the planks in our own eyes rather than focusing on the speck in other people's eyes. Do we want to be people like that? Or do we just want to feel like our team is the winning team? Do we just want to feel like we're the people who are right? Do we just want to measure our, our success with numbers? If we claim to know Jesus, but we don't have any interest in living the way the Sermon on the Mount describes, we don't really know Jesus. And when we say, Lord, Lord, we're taking his name in vain. You know, a lot, a lot of the time people think taking the Lord's name in vain just means using God's name as a curse. And we shouldn't do that. That's not good. But what it really means is to use his name, but not really back up our lives with the name that we're using. Now, you might be wondering, Ryan, are you saying, and is Jesus saying, that we're saved by what we do? That we're saved by our works? Because what you just said sounds a lot like that. Well, here's what I would say to that. Look again at what Jesus said in verse 16. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. So what is Jesus saying there? Jesus is saying that the character that you produce is a product of your identity. It's a product of who you are. It doesn't matter how hard a thorn bush tries to produce grapes. Right? It can't, it can't do it. Those little thorns can try as hard as they want, but they're not going to produce grapes. If you're going to produce grapes, you have to uh, be a grapevine. So the fruit of a tree is a, a product of the identity of the tree. Not of the tree's works, but of who the, what the tree is. That's what Jesus is saying there. So I'll say that again. What we're saved by is not the fruit that we produce, but it's the identity that we've received. What we're saved by is not the fruit that we produce, but the identity that we've received. Without the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, we're all like thorn bushes. Not, not grapevines. And no matter how hard we try as thorn bushes, we cannot produce grapes. But Jesus wants to transform us in our core. He wants to make us into grapevines. Grapevines that produce the fruit that the Sermon on the Mount talks about. Fruit that looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. 
And that transformation doesn't begin with us saying, I'm just going to work really hard and I'm going to be righteous. That transformation begins with us recognizing that we're not righteous in our own strength. It begins with us recognizing that we are thorn bushes and we can't produce grapes on our own. It means having, it begins when we're humble enough to say, God, I know I'm a thorn bush and I don't know how to produce grapes, so help me. Help me. I'm trusting in you, not in myself. And that's where transformation begins. And as we come to God with that humility, we can have confidence. He's not going to say, away from me, I never knew you. As 1 John 1.8 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In other words, God will transform the identity of the tree that is you. And you can count on that. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize that this is a frightening passage, but we also recognize that you are our Heavenly Father, that you love us, and that you want us to be in communion with you now and forever. Lord, if any of us do need to hear this warning this morning, we pray that your Spirit would impress it on us, Lord, to recognize that following you isn't just about using your name, it's about transformation in the heart. God, I pray that you would transform us into people of character, people who embody the fruit of the Spirit, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to look for the right kind of fruit when determining who to trust, who to follow, who to listen to. God, help us to look for the fruit of the Spirit. Help us not to get caught up in the wrong things. Give us wisdom and discernment, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.